This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisory and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Stephen Shane. Stephen is consistently one of the top brokers in the Roaring Fork Valley and has closed more than a billion dollars in sales over the last 10 years. Since moving to the region 25 years ago, he has leveraged his expertise and integrity to grow his personal client base and started Shane Aspen Real Estate. In April of 2016, he partnered with Compass Real Estate in an effort to provide his clientele with the benefits associated with the company's technology, marketing expertise, and global reach. He is a passionate proponent of the Aspen community, a strong believer in giving back, and aspires to share everything he loves about Aspen with others. In our conversation, we discuss the importance of playing by the rules when you're a well-known person in the community, even if that means foregoing a large commission, the advantages of using a proprietary real estate-centric technological platform to disrupt the status quo. And lastly, we talked about getting creative to find unlisted properties or even persuading a homeowner to become a seller in an inventory-starved market. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Stephen. This episode is brought to you by Land Title Guarantee Company. Land Title Guarantee Company is Colorado's largest locally owned and operated title agency. Since 1967, Land Title customers can rely on thorough record searches and secure handling of money and information, along with accurate and on-time processing of every transaction by the best people in the industry. With more than 50 offices across the state, their team knows Colorado real estate laws, customs, and markets inside and out. They know Colorado like it's their own backyard, because it is. Put your trust in the best. Visit ltgc.com or call 970-925-1678 and say you heard about land title on Selling the Mountains. Let's see, we sold the business on Halloween, ran the marathon, it was either November 4th or 6th, I moved here, I went for a run, and there was a girl running, so naturally I chased her, 
uh, to let you know how long ago it was, she either had a Discman or a Sony Walkman in her hands. And I started talking to her and she said she had to get back to work. I said, where do you work? She said, the Aspen Club. What do you do there? Oh, I was just appointed general manager. So I said to the gal, you know, I just moved here and I've got some time and I'm going to ski. But I think that Chris Everett's sister is the head tennis pro at the Aspen Club. If you could make arrangements being general manager, I would love to take tennis lessons from her. And she went on to say, I can probably do that. You're speaking to her. <laughs> and I'm now married to her and have two children. Um, so everything really fell into place, both from a personal level and uh, obviously a business level. Um, so, yeah, that's my initiation into Aspen. So what was your first job here in Aspen? <laughs> so... There was a young fellow who approached me. My background was retail, and I had retail boating supply stores on Long Island. And he knew that, and his fraternity brother was uh, leasing space for IntraWest in Keystone, and they wanted to put a snowboard store there. This is the advent of snowboarding. It was just beginning. As a matter of fact, you couldn't snowboard on Aspen Mountain at... Uh, in the beginning, I said, look, you want to run that business from Keystone. I'm not going to Keystone. Uh, I'm interested. And the next thing you know, we had six snowboard stores, the last one being in Aspen. So Keystone, Copper, Boulder, Denver, Vail, and then Aspen. Tough seasonal business, the opposite seasons of the boating business. But uh, we did a good job. And I eventually either sold or closed the stores. And it became very apparent to me with the pricing of real estate in Aspen that I would be better off brokering the inventory instead of buying the inventory and only being able to sell it at full price for a very in a, in a very short window, right? Like November 15th to February 15th, maybe the end of February, then you're going on sale and your margins diminish. And I went and got my real estate broker's license. And eventually my wife said, you know, why don't you have snowboarding be your, uh, you know, your hobby instead of your business? You make more money doing one or two business, uh, real estate deals than you do paying yourself a salary in the snowboard industry. So uh, I was smart enough to listen to her, and that's how my real estate career took off. Up until about three years ago, and then my body prefers my shoulders to be square to the bottom of the mountain instead of looking over my shoulder. So I switched back to skiing, and uh, it's open up, it opens up more terrain, and it's easier on my body. I think I might have seen you uphilling on Thai Hack recently. Is that true? Um, I am a cardio junkie, so I am guilty of having a Peloton bike. Uh, I exercise every day. I do it early in the morning, and then that kind of gets me going uh, for work. So I get up, I jump on my computer, 
answer the emails that I didn't answer from the night before because I typically fall asleep about 8, 39 o'clock. I get up at 4.35 and, um, and then I exercise and then I come to work. If you saw me uphilling a tie hack, it would be on a weekend because I just don't do anything other than my early morning exercise routine and work during the week. I, I work pretty conventionally. I think it was on the weekend. So flashing forward, it's 2021. You've been doing real estate now for quite a while and have had a lot of different, you know, a, a hugely successful career here. How would you define your niche today in the Aspen Snowmass area marketplace for real estate? Well, you know, with the prices the way they are, it's easy to say luxury because everything is pretty uh, expensive. You know, so that would be my niche. I mean, I would say that the average listing I have will be on either side of $10 million, which doesn't mean, you know, I'm not taking a $2 million, $4 million, $5 million listing. But I would say that my clientele are ultra high net worth leaders of their fields and industries. And I interact well with those people. I understand those buyers. I understand those sellers. So my niche is certainly luxury. No, it's a good point, right? I mean, almost by default, most brokers here in Aspen are selling, you know, if they're selling properties, they would fall into the luxury category just by definition of the price point. And the market has obviously moved tremendously upwards in the last several years and even this last year to the point where it, it you know, most properties are now north of $10 million, especially once you get into the single family home. How do you think that current, the current real estate boom here, has it changed Aspen in the Valley or is this a good thing? Well, you know, let's let's first give our due to this pandemic. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, here's what's interesting. When this pandemic hit in 2020, I guess February or thereabouts, nobody knew what to expect. You know, I'm the same guy who never believed in bottled water. So my forecasting may leave a little bit to be desired. And I told my two uh, broker associate assistants who are critical to my success that, hey, no matter what happens, you're getting paid certainly through the end of this year. I want you to focus on your health and whatever business we may have without being concerned about your jobs. I mean, I really didn't think anybody was coming here and I thought we were going to have a lull for quite some time. You know, fast forward. April, May, people are exodusing the major metropolitan, densely populated cities and looking for open space. I mean, Greenwich, Connecticut, you couldn't give away a home. Everybody was living in New York and Greenwich, you know, now flew off, off the rails. So did, you know, Santa Barbara and Montecito and any place where there is space and outdoor opportunities, people with the wherewithal moved here. 
I mean, there was a home anecdotally that I had listed for two years, two plus years. Carla, my one of my assistants, would correct me. And that home has a swimming pool, but it's an older home. And we had one offer when I had it listed for whatever that length of time was. One offer. All of a sudden, I receive an offer, and then I receive another offer a half hour later. That's two offers. I explained to the seller, we have two offers. He said, count them. I said, well, you can't count both of them. If they both accept, <laughs> you can't sell it twice. So what we did is we had language in a simultaneous counter proposals to both of the people who provide both the buyers who provided the offer. And, you know, the simultaneous counter proposal language read something along the lines of seller represents and buyer understands seller has received multiple offers and is providing a simultaneous counter proposal. If both or all of them are accepted, the seller reserves, you know, the right in his sole discretion to move forward, whichever buyer he chooses. So that has now been given to these two buyers. In the interim, Christian, <laughs> offer number three comes in. Okay, I couldn't give this house away for two years. Offer number three within 24 hours. This is on Red Mountain. I will tell you that the one of the previous owners of this property was the basketball player from the San Antonio Spurs who went to the Naval Academy, David Robinson. And uh, he wasn't the current owner. And now I have this other offer, and the other offer is better than the other two. So we withdraw, better yet, we say to the third buyer, hey, look, you're at X. If you can come to X plus Y, we'll withdraw the two counter proposals that are floating out there. And I tell the seller, we got to hustle because if either of those two are accepted, you're contractually obligated to perform. So we do, we negotiate with buyer number three. He comes up to a number that is very satisfactory to the seller. We withdraw the other two counter proposals and we ultimately close with buyer number three. This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. You know, we've heard tons of stories over the last year about, you know, properties that sat on the market, languished on the market for, you know, especially the ones outside of the core uh, for many years. And then all of a sudden, you've got people swooping in multiple offers on properties um, outside the core, ranch, you know, small ranch properties, old snowmass became hot again, McLean Flats, all of that. Starwood, you can't even get a place there now. And, um, you know, so that, that's been an interesting trend that's happened because of the pandemic, people looking for space and maybe be, wanting to be a bit outside the core. Is that consistent with what you've seen happen? 
that's you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the demand is for properties like that. So when the pandemic hit, the first call I got was from a gentleman from Arizona. And he wanted to come in and look at property. And he was, I I had been speaking with him prior. And I mean, he's going to look at property up to, you know, 25 million. And the, (laughs) the issue that exists or existed was, A, when you come in, you need to quarantine. And B, where are you staying? And I play by the rules. I am a well-known person in this community, a well-known broker in this community, and I am not going to try to beat the system. And if I can't show somebody property, no matter how expensive and how big the payday, I just won't do it. Uh, As things would happen, the quarantine component was lifted and he was able to stay at a friend's house because there was no hotel available. All of that being said, there was a property that was going to go to auction. And to me, the asking price was an arbitrary number at $30 million. There are no comps for this type of property. It was a unique property on the river near the Maroon Creek Club. And uh, we ended up buying that property. We, I represented the buyer who has he and his wife had become good friends, terrific people at twenty one and a half million dollars. And they didn't think that they were stealing it by any stretch of the imagination because that 30 million auction price, I believe was an arbitrary number. So twenty one and a half is a lot of money. That being said, I share this story for two reasons. A, the fact that it was going to go to auction speaks to what you just said about properties that had lingered on the market for a while with no buyer. And secondly, newsflash, about three weeks ago, I got a call from a broker representing a buyer who missed out on this property, who offered me. $30 $30 million. My buyer paid 21 and a half, March or April, and he has since been offered $30 million. Is he going to take the offer? Absolutely not. Well, that's the thing right now, right? There's, It's not like there's a lot of other places to go and other great properties on the market to get into. It's pretty simple. The, the, the mantra for a potential seller is, where am I going? That's for sure. So how do you think, you know, this boom and now lack of inventory and just this upward pressure on pricing, has it changed the Roaring Fork Valley? Well, yeah. I mean, it hasn't changed the valley from a dynamic perspective other than real estate prices. I mean, what's the dynamic? The dynamic is that there are families families with young children who are going to move here full time. In addition, you've got people who have been on the sidelines who have kind of stared, (laughs) you know, they've, they, they have 
I'm not saying they've stared death in the eyes, but they have considered their own mortality and they've said, you know, what am I waiting for? I mean, once again, you know, in retrospect, our perception of COVID is a little different than when it first was discovered and hit and we didn't know what to expect. Pretty scary stuff. So you've got two buyer groups, somebody who's going to live here full time and somebody who has been on the sideline who hadn't pulled the trigger on a second or a third home. And it's like, what am I waiting for? When all of that happens and there is this rush to buy, then pricing goes up. Sellers, you know, if they're willing... The way I explain things to sellers is, hey, look, you're running parallel paths here. I can't speak to your lifestyle. I understand how wonderful this place is. I've lived here for 27 years. Same thing. I'm sure you love it. I would be remiss if I didn't share with you that your home's worth 35 to 40% greater than it was, you know, two years ago. So that's up to you. So the dynamic is lots of buyers, some sellers who will test the market, see if they can get a number, and then they'll figure it out otherwise, but it's a number that they just can't walk from. And then the third component is there are a lot of people that are now moving to the periphery. So without getting into real detail, the three major high-velocity selling areas in Aspen for the with people who have the financial wherewithal to do it are the Central Core, the West End, and Red Mountain. There are other outliers that are great properties, but those three are where the velocity lies. You buy something, you want to sell it, there will always be a buyer if you're relatively fairly priced. So what has happened is the epicenter, if you will, is Aspen and maybe those three areas, and then you go to the periphery. That's East Aspen, that's West Aspen, not the West End, West Aspen. And then you can go further west and you get to Basalt and El Jebel and Carbondale and Missouri Heights and golf communities like River Valley Ranch and Aspen Glen. And you've got people buying there as well. You also have people who have owned in Aspen, who can sell in Aspen and are willing to cash out and then move down Valley, the areas I just mentioned, and have a wonderful home at a fraction of the cost. No, that's definitely a trend I'm hearing. And even some anecdotal personal people I know have recently made that move. And like you said, cash out, move down Valley. If the school district isn't uh, a primary focus for you, or maybe your kids are leaving the house, then it becomes more enticing to, to move down Valley and, uh, you know, get a beautiful property on a golf course. That's 45 minutes away from the ski resort. And probably two additional months of warmer weather. So depending on where your interests lie, you know, you could be golfing in April and you can be golfing in, in October or bike riding or, you know, fly fishing, wherever your interests lie. 
where you live. And yeah, a huge inconvenience of a 45-minute drive to Aspen Mountain or Highlands or Buttermilk or Snowmass. Believe me, we've made four-hour drives from New York to uh, Stratton uh, or Stowe or Killington ski a little blue ice so i mean <laughs> right you know it's all it's all relative yeah no kidding so let's back up a little bit so you had created your own brokerage shane aspen real estate but then uh your brokerage firm was acquired by compass in 2016 and you've been on that journey with compass ever since uh, and compass is obviously a very fast growing very nimble, innovative brokerage out of New York City that actually went public last week. Tell us a little bit about that journey. So there's an old expression, uh, if it's not broke, why fix it? I don't buy that. So I don't remember what year it was. It doesn't make a difference. But a, a year prior to me deciding to sell, um, and these numbers aren't going to be exact, but I think I was the number two broker uh, in Aspen. And so number one, it's something like this. Don't quote me. Uh, you know, like let's say number one sold $200 million and I sold $180 million and number three sold $160 million. So, you know, there's the three premier selling brokers in Aspen. And number one, I think, had 80 listings. And number three... I think had 40 listings and I had 20 listings. So it became apparent to me that right or wrong, the perception of a seller is that they need to have a uh, broker or brokerage with a national or international reach. Once again, right or wrong doesn't make a difference. That's the perception, and that's what ends up happening. So I wasn't getting my fair share of listings. I'm doing the dollar volume of the other two competitors, but I'm doing it with a fraction of their listings. So because I was historically either the number one, two, or three broker in the community, and my company was the largest independent brokerage, Shane Aspen, I was on the top of the list of any company that wanted to get a foothold in Aspen. So I was recruited or companies reached out to me to see if I would either want to be a franchise or if I could be acquired. And believe me, I was flown to New York and to New Jersey and to California and every major company you can imagine, every major brokerage tried to acquire my company. And when I saw the co-founding CEOs of Compass and what their vision was, I determined that if I was going to make a change, I didn't want to do it with the status quo. And this was a company that was going to disrupt a otherwise somewhat antiquated industry in the respect that there has been no change in the brokerage for years. And Ori Allen, 
and Robert Rufkin are the two CEOs. So Ori sold his two most recent businesses to Google and Twitter. Uh, that's a pretty good resume. Yeah. Robert Rufkin, I mean, if anybody wants to see, uh, I think his mantra is really dream big. And if you want to see a guy that's climbed out and just done something extraordinary, it's Robert. And I'm not going to give you his complete bio, but I will give you a little bit of a snapshot where uh, he was raised by uh, his mom. His father died homeless on the streets. He went undergraduate to Columbia, decided to graduate in two years instead of four. He was at McKenzie. He was a fellow at the White House. He was at Goldman Sachs. He got his MBA from Columbia. At Goldman Sachs, I think he decided, why don't I just go run a marathon in every state of the nation <laughs> to raise money for charity? So he ran 50 marathons in five years. Do the math. I mean, that's like one every two months. And uh, he's an extraordinary guy, a very, very kind uh, person. There was no question who I was going to sell my company to. That was five years ago. So the sale of my company to Compass almost mirrors the IPO. The IPO was a week ago today, and I had sold my company to Compass, I think, on April 1st or 2nd in 2016. Do you retain some ownership in, in the new Compass? What's ownership mean? Well, I'm assuming <laughs> so have, when you sold. Shares? Yeah, do you have shares in Compass? Yes. Nice. You know, so when you sell a company, as you probably know, I mean, basically, you know, it sells on a multiple of cash flow or multiple of earnings. Nobody is going to, in, in an industry like this one, give you everything up front because they need you to continue to perform. So there is an earn out. And, uh, I, you know, I love what I do, so I'm not going anywhere. And uh, I have been very pleased with this fast and strategic Compass trajectory. I mean, I think when I sold my company to Compass, the valuation was around $360 million And the IPO was probably valuing the company five years later at seven billion. So that's a, there you have it. I know the, um, you know, the initial reaction from wall street was very positive too. It, it went up at least 20% in first day of trading. I don't know where it sits today, but you know, that is interesting. You know, there seems to be this trend towards these big, large international brokerages going public and taking that cash to invest in their tech and their stack and everything and making sure that, like you said, reinventing the real estate business to a degree. What are the advantages of being part of Compass from your perspective? Compass treats their brokers as their customers. So what Compass does is they have invested a huge amount of money with engineers or engineering, and they have created platforms that are used to uh, by, by the brokers that enhance their ability to perform and free and, and create free time. So they are really having the brokers 
implement these platforms, whether it's a CRM platform, whether it's a marketing and advertising plug-and-play platform. I mean, if I want to go on, a, if I was to go on a listing present, if I got a call while you and I are doing this, and they, and my call was, can you come and take a look at my property? I'd like you to consider listing it. I can create a listing presentation hardbound in this office in 20 minutes, okay, which is highly impressive. So all of the different platforms that Compass creates, this engineering, which is proprietary to Compass, which is really real estate centric, not a platform that exists for all industries that a real estate brokerage can use, but a real estate centric platform is what separates Compass in a lot of different respects from other brokerages. The other element in my eyes that separates Compass is its culture. Number one, Compass has hired or recruited or purchased the top performing brokers and brokerages around the country. So when I am interacting with the Stephen Shane in Los Angeles or Miami or New York or Chicago uh, or Houston or Dallas, it is a person or a broker with a similar skill set to myself or certainly a broker who has enjoyed the same level of success that I have. So it's not just brokers in different regions but they're the top performing brokers in different regions. And lastly, the Compass culture is really something special. It starts at the top and we, the company, embraces anyone and everyone. And that's really, really important. And quite frankly, I don't care how much business you do, if you are not aligned with Compass culture, you will not stay at this company. As an outsider looking in, it's exciting to see, you know, this type of investment and this type of technological innovation happening in the real estate space. And there's obviously competitors as well, but I'm sure there's, you know, people that live in these mountain towns and look at Compass and say, wow, you know, it's, is you know, publicly traded brokerage firms getting their tentacles into the mountains is that a good thing or a bad thing? And, um, you know, is there, are, are there disadvantages, you think? You know, I really don't think so. I mean, at the end of the day, all businesses are made up of people. And Compass doesn't advocate or represent that the technology is replacing the brokers, nor does it represent that going public is going to change the uh, focus of brokers personally handling their book of business, okay, being face-to-face with their clients. So whether or not Compass is a public company, a privately held company, a company in 15 states or 50 states, you know, it's still all about the individual broker and that broker's client. And whether it's in Aspen or Telluride. We just brought on the top producing broker in Vail. 
who's a highly talented guy. We just moved into Steamboat. Doesn't make a difference. It's still all about the individual agent and their relationship with their client. All right, shifting gears. You know, we're now through the first quarter of 21. How has it been going so far for you? No complaints. Uh, I've got 80 plus million sold in the first quarter individually. And that's a lot of real estate. You know, the, the problem that exists is inventory. So, you know, I'm working with a ton of buyers and you can't just use the MLS. You can't just look and see what's listed. You have to get creative and see if you can find unlisted properties or persuade a seller or excuse me, a homeowner to become a seller. So the challenge really is a lack of inventory. Now, I feel that there's going to be X amount of buyers who are going to say, I don't want to jump into the fray right now. Prices are at an all time high. And as I discussed earlier, you got to get in the game. Uh, I am sure 50 years ago, when somebody was buying a lot in the West End for $65,000, they thought it was absurd. And right now, a lot in the West End is going to be somewhere between seven and $8 million. There's a finite amount of inventory here, Mr. Buyer or Mrs. Buyer. So the fact of the matter is, the prices aren't going to go down significantly. It could be a small dip, as we discussed earlier. But for the math, you know, if you can buy and sell when you want to sell and you're not forced to sell, you're going to do just fine. So the pricing to me isn't as much of an issue as the lack of inventory. So, Mr. Buyer, Mrs. Buyer, what are they what are they looking for right now in a mountain home? I think you hit it on the, uh, the nail on the head earlier, Christian. They want, you know, and this is a, a gross generalization, but, you know, people want space. Now, that being said, not everybody wants space. I think the single greatest selling asset is a little three-letter word. It begins with an N, ends in a W, and there's an E somewhere in the middle. People love that. I listed about three weeks ago, a home in the West End of Aspen, 700 West Smuggler. I listed it for $17.9 million. This was a story where I had reached out to the homeowner and said, I know you love your home. I also know you love business and where you probably think your home is worth 2,500 a square foot, I'll bet you it's worth closer to 3,200 a square foot. So we listed the home for $17.9 million. It was under contract at full price in four hours. That's two different families that, that had moved here from different areas. Uh, with children in the school system or looking to put them in the school system. One had bought a placeholder. Another one was renting. And uh, 
the family that bought this house had missed out on two other opportunities and we're not going to miss out again. That's crazy. I mean, that's wild to hear that people are make pulling the trigger on homes north of 17 million in, in a matter of hours. But like you said, I mean, there's there's limited and extremely limited inventory. And if they've gotten burned before, they know they've got to move fast. And, you know, and it's just this is what the market will bear right now, apparently. So do you have any other interesting stories that listeners might want to hear about some recent transactions or things they are seeing happen in the marketplace? You know, what's funny is how things kind of evolve. So once again, when COVID first hit, and remember, we're talking about a year ago, I wasn't able to go and see, you know, you want to be out and about. You want to be top of mind. When somebody's going to list a home, if you ran into them the night before in a restaurant or at the Aspen Mountain Club or on the mountain or at the gym, maybe you're top of mind and maybe you're getting the call. But if you're not out and about, that's tough stuff. So one (laughs) kind of creative thing that we implemented during COVID, which I thought was kind of cool, is there's an Aspen Monopoly game. So instead of Park Place and Boardwalk, you've got Aspen properties. A lot of fun. I went to the manufacturer. I think I bought about 150 Aspen Monopoly games, which was a nice investment. And uh, I hand wrote 150 notes to clients of mine uh, saying, hey, look, I understand you may not be able to visit Aspen right now, but I thought I'd send a little bit of Aspen your way. And that was a touch point where, because I wasn't out and about and present, that hopefully this would have Stephen Shane and Compass top of mind. You know, and, and, and creativity is really important in real estate. You know, you just can't be like every other broker, and you just can't wait for the business to come your way. No, I think that's a really good lesson for listeners, you know, or or brokers or in this crate, you know, you gotta, you gotta get creative and, you know, and direct mail may not be the most sexy thing to put out there these days, but it still works. And then, and in your case, it wasn't even direct mail, it was an actual gift. And, you know, I'm sure that got people talking and and thinking about you and uh, if they were inclined to list their property. It definitely reinforces that you're there and thinking about them in a fun way. Where do you get most of your business leads from? Well, at this point in time, and in fairness to brokers who are just starting out, you know, it's harder. But at this point in time, most leads are referrals. They're either referrals from former clients or existing clients in Aspen They can be referrals from Compass's very strong network around the country. And also, in my marketing and advertising, because I have listings, which again is difficult for a new broker who doesn't have listings, and the potential buyers and sellers see my name on a regular basis, accompanied by whatever property I have listed for sale, once again, top of mind, and I can get the call. So if I'm listing a particular house, it's not just about the sale of that house. It's also 
having the community know that I am willing to invest in my clients. I think that's very obvious. You know, I, I see all the local publications and you're very prominent in there. You've, you've, you know, like you said, you've got a lot of listings and you're investing in those, those advertisements are not inexpensive by any stretch. And to, to do those glossies and high touch, uh, you know, highly produced ads and video and everything takes a lot of investment on the part of the brokerage and yourself um, to get those listings and get them out in front of prospective buyers. Are there any are there any marketing tactics that you are particularly fond of? Well, you know, from a print perspective, and I know that like people are, wow, print, because you know, everything is digital these days. But in this small community of 7,000 people, they read the local newspaper. So I find that effective. I also feel that it's important with luxury properties to use Aspen Magazine. And if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. And you're right. It's very expensive. During the pandemic, I shot video. It wasn't really real estate related. It was really thank yous to community service providers. So I was outside the hospital, outside the fire department, outside Mountain Rescue, outside the police department. Just, you know, the ARC, the Aspen Recreation Center, different, the schools, different places, municipalities that provide us great support all of the time and really rose to the occasion during COVID. And those were just, you know, 45 second, one minute videos uh, with a heartfelt thank you. And posting those on social media, letting people know that, uh, hey, we're thinking about you. And when you get out here, it's a safe place. Now, those kind of tactics make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I see a lot of brokers investing a lot of energy and time into their social media channels. But then there's other very, very successful brokers who don't use that cha those channels at all. And they rely in, almost entirely on networking and, and traditional referrals. Referrals are huge, Christian. I mean, you know, if there's 600 brokers in this community, there are four brokers that year after year are the top producing brokers. And I can venture to guess that the four of us, our business is, you know, I don't know if it's 75 or 80% referral based, but it definitely is. That being said, that doesn't mean you rest on your laurels and wait for the business to come. Go get it. Go get the business. For any young brokers who might be listening to you, Christian, on this podcast, I, at one point in time, was new as well. And I understand how difficult it is. And the fact of the matter is, there's three things. Number one, you need to be identified as a broker. When you walk into a room, they have to say, hey, that's Christian. He's a broker, not he's the father of these kids, or he's a bartender, but I think he has his license, or she is a broker. That's really important. You need likability. Likability will open doors. People want to help people they like. But once that door is open, you need knowledge. You have to be knowledgeable of real estate and of the inventory 
that exists, especially in a community like this one, where the great majority of people here, if the average home price is $7 million, you better be well-versed. The person who has the wherewithal to buy a home or a second home for $7 million probably is a pretty bright person. And if you're not well-prepared and well-versed on the market, you're not going to last very long. No, that sounds like really good advice for those up-and-coming brokers. And, you know, we, we talk to all times, types of brokers on the show. And, you know, from the very, very successful, like you said, those kind of perennial top uh, producers to the up-and-comers. And it's a very different approach and a very different challenge when you, you know, you don't have that network built up, that referral network, you know. And so I think I do see a lot of creativity happening in, you know, social media and self, you know, branding. Uh, for these younger brokers. But like you said, you've got to be able to present yourself. You've got to be able to get out there. You've got to have the knowledge and and you've got to cover your bases and check all the boxes for all this, these different marketing tactics that are available these days. And it's, uh, it is in- impressive to see what Compass does and what it offers its agents. I see, you know, I think they are progressive in terms of, you know, how they leverage technology to push out those brand messages for their brokers. Yep. So how do you, you know, you said you've been in this industry about 27 years uh, or been in the Valley here and been a broker for a long time. How do you approach continuous learning and how do you continue to get better at your trade? What a great question. So you're always learning or you're always evolving. And, you know, it's nuanced. It's really nuanced. It's, It's understanding your client. You know, no two clients are the same. And you need to be flexible. You need to be able to adapt. So the learning that you inquire to, for me, isn't taking classes. It's really a a self-awareness of understanding when you're talking to somebody. I mean, I was speaking to a young fellow this morning who's going to buy a condo here. The amount of, this is not a big deal, but it's a big deal to him and his enthusiasm and his excitement to be able to own a condominium in Aspen, Colorado. I mean, I need to mirror that enthusiasm. I need to mirror that excitement because and I have no problem doing that because of his excitement. So you have to understand, and you learn this through experience, how to act and react with your different clients. And I think that is really important. And that is kind of the evolution. And it's much more it's not that it's more important, but for me, that's what I learn more so than, you know, how to do a 1031 exchange. No, that makes sense. I mean, knowing your client and they're all different, right? Every person is a different personality. And I love that analogy. It might on the surface be like, oh, this is just a condo or a studio purchased, you know, and 
and that maybe isn't that big of a deal in your world in terms of the types of volume you do or the prices points you deal with. But to that person, that's their that's their dream and they're getting their place in Aspen or Snowmass or wherever. And that's, you know, it's important to them and showing them that care and respect uh, through the process, the same as you are somebody selling a $30 million home. That's right, because don't forget that condominium can be a higher percentage of their net worth than somebody buying a $15 million home. You know, that speaks volumes. And I just continue to try to fine tune who I am, both from a broker perspective and also, you know, managing my team. I'm an individual broker, but I have two talented, really talented broker assistants who their opinion matters. And they, believe me, they're going to be more knowledgeable of certain aspects of the business and certain people and certain sectors of the market than I am. So it's a collaborative effort. Speaking of collaboration, I know the brokers around, you know, have a lot of relationships with local professionals, could be an architect or builder, developer, uh, property manager, and then even like lenders and title companies and all of that, do you, you know, how do you approach those collaborations and those partnerships with those local professionals? <laughs> so as I tell my children, one who's just about 21 and one who is 11, same wife, Christian, <laughs> um, actions speak louder than words. And everybody can pitch me. Okay, a lender can pitch me, an architect can pitch me, a title company can pitch me. And the fact of the matter is, their performance is going to dictate where I end up. So I can give you a handful of examples. First of all, title company, you know, in Aspen, there's a handful of title companies, I'm sure they all do a fine job. Land title has never let me down. I love land title. And uh, believe me, I get emails from land title at 4.30 in the morning. So when they're busy, that doesn't mean they're turning down business. That means they're working even harder. Architects, you know, one of the things that'll happen is somebody will say to me, how big of a home do you think can be developed on this property? It's not a simple answer, believe me. You need a survey, you need a topographical survey, you have to understand slope, you have to understand you know, whether or not there are easements, uh, is it a TDR receiver site, et cetera, et cetera. So if an architect is willing to do some work for me prior to, or on the bet that maybe, they would end up being hired by the buyer of that teardown or the buyer of that lot, then that's a big help as well. Lenders, same thing. I need fast answers. I also need great performance. So I do have go-to lenders. And then quite frankly, if you have an international buyer, you might need a lender who whose wheelhouse is just that, you know, foreign nationals. So once again, everything depends on the circumstance, but past performance action uh, goes a long way with me. 
that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I couldn't agree more, you know, and you get a, you find a good vendor, you find a good professional and that, that can be a multi year lifelong relationship, um, uh, referral business too. And it's, it's very important. It's very cyclical. So I like to end the show with a few, um, more fun kind of questions and, you know, we're heading into the off season here. Do you have a place that you like to visit, uh, when the slopes are closed here? (laughs) You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I like to fish. That would bring me and my family, not that they're fishing, to Mexico. Pretty easy to get there and great fishing. So that's one go-to. My wife is originally from Florida. My dad, who will be 91 in May, is there. So I can pick him up and drive down to the Keys. And if I can get him onto a boat, by the way, not easily accomplished, get him in a chair, stick a sandwich in his hand, I'm pretty happy there as well. We also really enjoy going to New York. We love the theater, the restaurants and the shopping, and maybe I'll go to a Ranger game or a Yankee game. I told you I'm originally from New York, so that makes me pretty happy. Well, let's hope that all that stuff starts opening back up and, you know, with no, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a run and I hope you're able to spend some time with your father uh, again, now that the, the co you know, COVID is changing a bit and vaccines are more prevalent and uh, travels opening up. It's going to be a great opportunity to get out of here, hopefully over the summer when it gets crazy. Yeah. If you have an important client come to town, do you have a favorite place to entertain them? So during ski season, The Mountain Club is a private club on top of Aspen Mountain, so that is waiter-waitress service. I mean, you are seated at a table with white tablecloths, and it is really, really nicely done. It's (laughs) very expensive to be a member there, so often a high net worth client will actually run into people that they know. The food's terrific. So that's really my go-to. And, you know, I also like to do things with my clients. I, I love to road cycle. So a lot of my clients enjoy that. So we'll do that. And um, once again, really depends on who you're with and where their interests lie. Do you have any uh, nonprofits or charitable causes that you are really passionate about? Yes. So my wife is on the board, I think she's vice chair currently of uh, Aspen Country Day School. And she is also, I think she's vice president of uh, Theater Aspen or vice chair. So those are two. And then I, I'm very, I, I feel very strongly about the Aspen Hope Center. I never want to pick up the newspaper and read about Uh, anybody uh, taking their own life. That has always been my primary charity of choice. Whatever they can do to uh, help with mental health in the Valley is very, very important. And I feel very strongly about that. So we're heading into the summer and 
obviously the supply is dwindling. By all accounts, it's going to be very busy here this summer, and there's going to be people looking for property. But how, how do you think, what's your prediction for how 21 is going to, to unfold? You know, it's going to be dictated by inventory. The buyers are here, and the buyers will be here. So I think that you will still have sellers. Maybe we won't, we won't have the extent of inventory that we've had in the past, but we probably have more buyers. And I think that buyers may value engineer what they're looking for. And if top priority is to be here, and then next in line is the perfect house, well, they may compromise on the perfect house and get a close to perfect house or a very good house, enjoy everything that Aspen has to offer. And if in fact they can't make it their ideal home with whatever modifications they want, uh, they're here, and when their ideal home becomes available, they can buy that one and sell the one they're in. That works well for me, Christian. <laughs> I think it's going to be busy this summer, that's for sure. Just see the pent-up demand already. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Anybody can email me at stephen.shane, so it's stephen with a V, dot shane, S-H-A-N-E, at Compass. Dot com, or they can call myself, 970-948-6005. Well, Stephen, I really enjoyed this conversation. Congrats on all your success and, uh, and best to you heading into this busy summer selling season. Well, thanks so much, Christian. And thanks for taking an interest in uh, an industry that obviously I'm passionate about and uh, your list listeners are passionate about. And I hope that some of the anecdotal uh, stories conveyed and uh, whatever insight I have is either entertaining or interesting or both. So thanks again, Christian. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.